good morning, church. Who is excited to be here today? Yeah. I asked that question because I'm sitting at a cafe the other day, and I'm working on this message. I'm sitting there with my laptop typing away like a monkey doing a math problem, and I'm sitting there. And this woman who I don't know, she doesn't know me, I don't know her, she comes up to me and she's like, excuse me, sir. And I'm like, yeah, I look up from my laptop. I'm like, yeah, how can I help you? She's like, you look like you're bored to death. And I'm like, I'm writing a sermon, (laughs) ma'am. It's like one of those compliments where like somebody comes up to you and you're like, you're not really sure how to take that. Like, is that supposed to be a compliment? Was that intended to be that way? Like when somebody comes up to you and says, you look really tired. Okay, what do I do with that? Like, you look pregnant. Like, what are we supposed to do with comments like that? I I don't know. Anyway, so it occurred to me when she says, I look bored to death, it occurred to me, if if I look bored to death while writing a sermon, I can only imagine how you must feel while listening to that sermon. (laughs) So I'm going to ask the question one more time, who is excited to be here today? Yeah! Good. I'm glad you're not bored to death. We've been in a series for the last several weeks called Core, and I have actually enjoyed, I've enjoyed this series. I've enjoyed going through this, but it's not just a matter of enjoying it. I I think it's important that we go through our core values and talk about why we do what we do. John Maxwell said this. He said, your core values are the deeply held beliefs that authentically describe your soul. I think that's true. I, I think I think our core values are what's on the inside of our church. And in the last couple of weeks, I've talked about our seven core values every single week. But I'm curious who's been falling asleep in the sermon. So we have a pop quiz this morning to see who's been bored to death over the last four weeks. Uh, I'm going to ask you what the, the core values are, starting one and going all the way through seven. And if you happen to know the answers, then yell it out loud and proud, as loud as you possibly can. And if you don't, then sit there in shame and silence and... Uh, and pretend as though you were like busy, distracted on Instagram or something. So, all right, our seven core values. Does anybody know our number one, the number, the first of the seven core values? Yeah, even a kid. Yes, yes. Awesome. Well, you got one correct so far. All right. Uh, do, do any of you know the second core value? God's word. That it, it dwindled a little bit on that one. People in the first one, God. God's word. Let's see how number three is. Does anybody know the third core value? All people. I like it. All right, number four. Anybody know number four? The church. Yeah, the big capital C church, not little C church. The, the kingdom of God, the, the bride of Jesus Christ. Yeah, so God, God's word, all people, the church. Number five we talked about last week. Anybody know it? Community. Yeah, at least five people knew that one. Yeah, you're probably in the same community group. Good. Uh, <laughs> Number six and number seven we haven't talked about yet. We're going to be talking about them today. But does anybody happen to know number six? Discipleship and number seven? Service, that's correct. It's also rolling in the video behind me every time I come out. So you could could have the answers. So uh, yes, those are our core values. God, God's word, all people, the church, community, discipleship, and service. The things that we feel are the most valuable things that we're going to invest our time and our resources in. So today we're going to dive into discipleship and service. I was talking to a buddy a couple days ago. I said, what's the first thing that pops into your mind? When I say the term discipleship, what do you think of? And he says, well, honestly... It's kind of like one of those churchy words. 
people throw that word around in church all the time, but I understand some of the other words like God and God's word. It's a scripture, it's a Bible. I understand all people. I understand uh, the church and community. But discipleship is one of those words that people throw out in church oftentimes, and people don't oftentimes even know what it means. And so he said, Matt, I would encourage you to define it. This coming Sunday when you talk about discipleship, define it for the congregation because not everybody's going to be on the same page. So I said, okay, I shall do that. I'm going to go on to Google because that's what I do. When I don't know something, I don't know an answer, I Google it. So I Googled it on your behalf. And the first page that pops up when you Google the word discipleship is a website called allaboutfollowingjesus.org. I clicked on that link, and it brings me up to a definition of what discipleship is. Here's what allaboutfollowingjesus.org says is discipleship. They say discipleship is teaching biblical precepts while modeling and guiding others toward living righteously as followers of Jesus Christ. Now, you might be wondering, okay, now can you define the term precepts? Because I don't understand what a precept is. It's just scripture and text. Discipleship is teaching biblical concepts or scripture while modeling and guiding others toward living righteously as followers of Jesus Christ. Now, I agree with this definition. It's just a long definition. So Pastor Craig, or Greg Laurie, he says this. He says, discipleship is simply living the Christian life the way it was meant to be lived. Pretty simple definition as far as what discipleship is. If you're taking notes this morning, you can write this down in your program. Here's an even more simple definition. Discipleship is learning about Jesus and living like Jesus. Easy as that. Discipleship is learning about Jesus and living like Jesus. Jesus even demonstrated this. He talks about it in Matthew chapter 28. Jesus came to his disciples and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I'm with you always until the very end of the age. Basically, Jesus says, here's what discipleship is. Go and make disciples, baptize them, and teach them. Now, sounds pretty simple. Sometimes things are easier said than done. I read an article this week that talks all about different things that are easier said than done. The number one thing on their list, things that are easier said than done, they said telling somebody to go get a job. <laughs> easier said than done. I remember when I graduated from the University of New Mexico because everybody's a Lobo. Woof, woof, woof. One. <laughs> and a slow clap from somebody else. That's You're an Aggie, aren't you? You're like slow clapping me because you're like, oh, poor guy, he's a Lobo. <laughs> I graduated from UNM with a degree in broadcast journalism and mass communications with a minor in business management. And I was like, now I got a degree. People are going to be flocking. Employers are going to be flocking to try to hire me to their organizations. And so I graduated. I walked the line. I'm like, where are you at? Everybody, where, employers, jobs, where, where are you? People said, just go get a job once you graduate. And I'm like, well, I thought they were going to come to me. They didn't. Nobody emailed, nobody called. So I was like, I'm going to fire off a resume here and here. I'm going to limit my scope of search just, just to the seven-figure jobs. <laughs> nobody called me. I don't understand. I, I lowered my standards, and I sent off literally hundreds of resumes and applications. And I learned after I graduated from, from college, it's hard to get a job. It's a lot easier said than done. Somebody says, just go get a job. Oh, yeah, I know. I, I'm trying. I've just been sending out applications and resumes. It can be very difficult. I know many of you have worked in, in the, uh, the oil and gas industry. And as the, the industry tanks and layoffs go on, people might just be like, oh, go get a job. Go, go find a paycheck somewhere else. Easier said than done. Some people are like, well, to do that, I've got to leave San Juan County. I've got to sell my house. I've got to pick up my family. I gotta go somewhere else. It's easier said than done than just going and getting a job somewhere. 
Now, the good news is that I've heard that the oil and gas industry is coming back here. I don't know how you feel about this, but I, I have talked with consultants that have come here, and, and they're bringing companies back and consulting companies. So I, I think that oil and gas jobs perhaps might be coming back to San Juan region, so I'm excited for that. Perhaps, perhaps you're re uh, nearing retirement. You could clap. Yeah, yeah. Yay. <laughs> Yay, oil and gas. Perhaps you're nearing retirement, and you're like, what, what do I do? I'm in my mid 30s. <laughs> what do I do in my 40s, 50s, 60s, 70s? And you're contemplating, do I, do I go get another job? Somebody, just go get another job somewhere. Go do something that you love. Easier said than done. There's a guy named uh, Ken Blanchard. He wrote a book called Refire, Don't Retire. He said this in his book. He said, Refire, which is an attitude of embracing the years ahead with enthusiasm rather than apathy. Get a job, somebody says. A lot easier said than done. I would encourage you to, to continue to the day that you die doing things that, that you're passionate about, using your strengths and your passions to bless other people, whether you get a paycheck from that or not. Point is, sometimes things are told to us that are easier said than done. Go get a job, easier said than done. The same article that was talking about things that are easier said than done. The second thing on the list is when somebody tells you to calm down. Which makes sense, because I don't think anybody in the history of the world has ever, ever said to somebody, calm down, when they're already calm. <laughs> you only hear somebody tell you, calm down, when you're like fuming mad. They're like, oh, you're angry, you're irate, you're losing it right now. Calm down, chill. <laughs> and then you're like, I am being calm. No, no, you're not. If there's any students, any high schoolers in the room, uh, try this next time. Uh, see how this goes for you. Next time your mom or dad are like flying off the handle, tell them, Pastor Matt told you to tell them, calm down and see how that goes for you. <laughs> Good luck in your new church too, by the way. They're not going to keep coming back here. <laughs> Easier said than done. The same article said, here's another thing. The number, number three or the third thing they say on their list, it's easier said than done, is when somebody tells you to be strong. Because oftentimes when somebody tells you to be strong, it's, it's when you're going through the thick of it. It's when you feel weak. You feel like you got nothing left to give. You just got a diagnosis. Your family's falling apart. Be strong. It's not that they're giving you non-biblical advice. It is biblical. All throughout scripture. Be strong and courageous. Be strong and courageous. Be strong and courageous. But sometimes things that we're told to do, they're just difficult. Sometimes it's easier said than done. This article continues to go on. Here's other things that they say are easier said than done. When somebody tells you, forgive and forget. <laughs> easier said than done. Somebody tells you, Get good grades. Easier said than done. When somebody tells you, just apologize. Or how about this? Be happy. Just choose happiness. You might be able to sing the song, don't worry. Be happy. Don't worry, be happy. <laughs> Easier sung than done, I guess. Sometimes when people tell us to do things, it's easier said than done. Jesus tells his disciples, and therefore he's telling us as well, hey, go and change the world. Go and make disciples and baptize them and teach them. And it sounds so simple. It sounds so basic. Yet, I think it fits in that category as it's easier said than done. Now, here's the good news. The good news is that Jesus doesn't just say, hey, I want you to go and change lives. I want you to go change the world. Figure it out, kid. Good luck learning how to do this. Jesus spent years demonstrating and teaching and leading and guiding and shepherding his disciples. And so by the time he said, go and change the world, he already showed them how. 
If you go back to the beginning of when Jesus first called his disciples, that's found in Matthew chapter 4. As Jesus was walking along the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon called Peter and his brother Andrew. They were casting a net into a lake for they were fishermen. And Jesus said, come follow me and I will send you out to fish for people. At once they left their nets and followed Jesus. Going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John. They were in a boat with their father Zebedee preparing their nets. And Jesus called them and immediately they left the boat and their father and followed Jesus. Now at the beginning when these disciples are beginning to follow Jesus, they don't even know why. He asked them, he called them, he challenged them to follow but they don't know what he's all about. They don't know what he's going to be teaching. They don't know what his life is all about. So they're following the man, but they don't yet follow his actions because they haven't seen his actions yet. But then in verse 23, we see this. Jesus went throughout Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom, and healing every disease and sickness among people. In other words, what he's doing, what Jesus is doing, is he's leading and guiding his disciples. He's being the example for them, for what he wants them to do. You've perhaps heard it said before, more is caught than taught. Jesus is allowing his disciples to become disciples based on following their leader's lead. If you're taking notes this morning, you can write this down in your notes. The best way to make a disciple is to be a disciple. The best way to make a disciple is to be a disciple. And what's cool is that Jesus doesn't make this very complicated because he, he leads and teaches us how to become a disciple. He says in John 15, 15, he said, I no longer call you servants, he says to his disciples, because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I have called you friends for everything that I learned from my father, I have made known to you. He's not trying to withhold information. He's saying, I'm gonna equip you. I'm gonna... I'm going to challenge you. I'm going to teach you. I'm going to help you learn the best way to make other disciples. He told us we should make other disciples, but the, the way to make disciples is for us to be disciples. So that begs the question, how do you be a disciple? How do you become a disciple? There's two simple steps on becoming a disciple. Here's what they are. You want to become a disciple? Number one, first step is this. Accept Jesus as the leader of your life. That's the first step. Step number two Follow the leader. Simple as that. How do you become a disciple? Accept Jesus as a leader in your life. And number two, follow the leader. But sometimes that, even though it sounds simple, can be easier said than done, which is why Jesus acknowledges this in Luke 14, 27. He says, whoever does not carry their cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. Now, is Jesus implying that you should go find a railroad tie and strap it to your back? Or a branch from a tree and strap it to your back and literally call it cr uh, carry a cross around. I don't think that's what he's implying. I think what he's saying is that he was willing to go to the, to the cross. He was willing to go to the death for what he felt was most important in his, li his life. And I think he's saying the same to us. Follow him no matter what. Follow Jesus no matter the consequences. Even if it costs you your very life. If it costs you your very job. Follow Jesus no matter what, even if it seems like a, a big burden to carry, even if it feels like a cross and it's difficult and it's hard, follow him no matter what. And sometimes, friends, this is very difficult for us to live out, especially in light of news like we just saw on Tuesday in the state of New York. I don't know if you've been following along in the news, but 
state of New York this last Tuesday, they've passed what's called the, the Reproductive Health Act. And if you're not familiar with the Reproductive Health Act, it's basically what this act does. It allows pregnant women to have a late-term abortion up to the moment before the baby comes out. Overturn Roe v. Wade. It used to be abortion was legal up to 24 weeks. Now it's legal up to the moment the baby comes out in the state of New York. I honestly don't, I don't understand it. And this has nothing to do with Democrats versus Republicans or independents or Green parties or anything like that. This is a matter of life and death. And, and here we talk about, in our congregation, our values. Number one, God. Number two, God's word. Number three, all, all people. We value all people. I don't know how some people can reconcile. It's okay to just say, okay, we value these people, but not these people. They, they haven't yet taken their first breath, so we don't yet value them. We're going we're gonna to be okay killing them. And, and not only that, but I don't know if you saw this on the news, but the, the way that the Senate reacted when this law was put into place. I have a video clip. It's seven seconds long. Check out the reaction for, for when it was announced. <laughs> Standing ovation. People, yay! What are they applauding? Y yay, murder! Yay, death! Woohoo! Fewer kids in the world. Are you kidding? I, I, don't under, I don't understand. When we are designed in the image of God, when we have our strengths and our passions, and God has, has, has literally designed us in the womb, we're, we're applauding murders of kids? I don't get it. The governor of New York, he, he made a mandate for the one World Trade Center, which is the building that's been built, built in the, the very plot of land where the Twin Towers went down in September 11th of, of 2001. That very plot of land, they built a new building in New York City. One World Trade Center is the address. And they, they put at the very top, the governor put up a, a, a pink spire. They lit it up pink in honor of the law that was passed on Tuesday. In celebration of women's rights or what, whatever. And I, it's not that I'm opposed to women's rights. But I find incredible irony to lighting that particular building up in the very place where thousands of people have lost, lost their lives. We're now illuminating and celebrating perhaps millions more lives to be lost to come. We're celebrating. We're cheering. The governor then posted on Twitter a picture of him signing this, this bill into law. And, and look at the picture. I don't know if you can read it from where you're at, but it says in the upper right-hand corner, it says, congratulations, all all? Perhaps for some people, they, they feel like that's worth saying congratulations for, but wh what would you say to the kids? Their lives are being taken. Oh, congratulations, you're dead. Congratulations, your, your life never even started. You got snuffed out before you even came out. This isn't to, to make anybody feel guilty. If you have had an abortion, God gives grace. We all make mistakes. But I don't understand how we can reconcile through scripture. Again, this is not a political issue. This is a heart issue. This is a trust issue. This is a biblical issue. Here's what Jesus says, John 10, 10. He says, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. You know how do they do these late-term abortions? They go in and they crush the baby until it dies. And then they dismember the baby and they suck it out. Jesus says, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. 
I have come that they may have life. And not just that, have it to the full. This is the scripture that I read. This is the Jesus that I follow. These are the red letter words of the Bible, that he came that people may have life and have it to the full. Who am I to say that you deserve life and you don't? You get life and you get cut off. David the psalmist wrote this in Psalm 139. He said, for you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place, when I was woven together in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed body. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. Sometimes following Jesus, following scripture, is a hard thing to do. I think had I been on the floor of that Senate on Tuesday, I perhaps would have been the only person sitting and perhaps even yelling out, boo. Maybe the only voice in the room. John 3.19 says, this is the verdict. Light has come into the world, but people loved darkness instead of the light because their deeds were evil. People love darkness. Perhaps some people cheer for darkness. I have a picture of my baby, Bennett Matthew Mizell. Took this photo approximately six minutes after he was born. It's absurd to me to think that I could have killed him seven minutes before that picture. Jesus says in Matthew 19 about children. It says the people brought little children to Jesus for him to place their hands on him and pray for them. But the disciples rebuked them. Jesus said, let the little children come to me and do not hinder them. For the kingdom of heaven belongs to such as these. Jesus loved kids. Sometimes he even told adults to act more like children. Matthew 18, 3, Jesus said, truly I tell you, unless you change and become like little children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Friends, this is just one, one way in scripture where it's very clear that God values life. Following Jesus sounds easy until you're put to the test. Following Christ, following scripture, following God's word sounds so simple until you're presented with the opposing argument and, and, and perhaps reasons and justifications of why it sounds logical to disobey God's word. This is just one area. I could go off on all sorts of different areas that are, that are hard to follow, that are scriptural. Jesus says, love your enemies. I could preach a whole sermon on just that. Jesus says other things like forgive people, show compassion to people, be selfless to people, serve people. There's all sorts of different ways that we can follow after Jesus that are, on, are not always so simple. He says, pick up your cross and follow me. If you're not following me, you're not my disciple. If you just pick and choose which, which areas that, that you want to follow, then you're not following me 100%. Jesus says, follow me even if it's difficult. Nancy Lee DeMoss said this about serving. She said, we're never more like Jesus than when we are serving him or serving others. There is no higher calling than to be 
his servant. Jesus exemplifies that. He lives that out. That's why we have our seventh core value in this church as service. We value service because when you take all these other values, the, the first six core values, and wrap them up into a bundle, it leads to service. We serve others because Jesus served us. We serve others because God serves us on a continual basis. Mark 10, 45, Jesus says this. He says, even the Son of Man did not come to be served but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Jesus leads the way. He serves us. You want to be my disciple? Do what I do. And he serves people. If you're taking notes this morning, you can write that down. Being a disciple means serving other people. Sometimes it seems so simple, and sometimes it can be simple. Matthew 10, 42, Jesus says, if anybody gives a cup of cold water to one of these little ones who is my disciple, truly I tell you that that person will not certainly lose their reward. We are called to follow Jesus whether it's easy or not. We are challenged to follow Christ, whether it's the, the popular thing to do or not. We're called to pick up our cross, even if it's difficult, and continue to follow. How do you be a disciple? You identify that Jesus is your leader, and you follow the leader. That's how you become a disciple. And here's what's, what's beautiful with this. As you follow Jesus, you become a disciple, but then other people follow your lead. And they follow you, which is something that Paul, the apostle, realized. He wrote in 1 Corinthians 11.1, 1, he said, follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. Just follow me while I follow him. Here's what's awesome. When you choose to follow after Jesus, people will begin following you and how you live your lifestyle. They're following Jesus whether they know it or not, but people are following Christ based on how you live your life. As they follow you who's following Christ, people will follow them who's following you who's following Christ. There's a, a daisy chain that goes on here, and, and this is why uh, Tom Peters says this. create more followers, they create more leaders. Our goal is not to create more followers. As people follow you, they're leading other people to follow them who's following you to follow Jesus. We're leading people to follow Christ. He is the example. So, so my plea to you is, is have God's word transform your life. These seven core values that we talk about, it's not just suggestions. They're, they're not just things that we're like, hey, this is a good topic for a Sunday morning. This is what we live our lives on. God, his word, we value all people. We value the church, the, the bride of Christ. We value community. We value discipleship. We, we value service. I don't want this to just to be stuff that we talk about. I want it to change the very core of who we are. I want it to, to, to dictate what we're all about, why we do things and why we don't do other things, why we say things, why we don't say other things. Our core values should dictate how we live our lives. And you might be thinking, okay, well, how do I do that? How do I take the, the last four weeks and take all these core values and wrap them up? How do I apply those things to my life? Here's my two cents. Here's how I would, I would do that. If I was giving you suggestions or advice as far as how to live these things out, I would encourage you to surround yourself with other people who have similar like-minded values. Show me your friends, and I'll show you your future. The people you hang out with, are going to solidify either what that group of people believes, what, they, what their doctrine is, what their philosophies are, what their values are. Which is why for months we've been talking about, hey, you should be in a life group. We want to encourage everybody to, to do life with each other. So in 2019, I've been teasing this for the last couple of months, 
2019, we're, we're tweaking our life groups and our life group model because our desire is that every single person in this, this congregation chooses to do life with other people. So instead of having one opportunity for life groups in this year, we've actually changed and tweaked a little bit. We have three different opportunities for life groups. And, and let me explain what those are. The first one is what we refer to as home life groups. Now, home life groups, this is how the early church got started, the Church of Acts. They met in each other's homes. They broke bread together. They ate together. But they also talked about God. They talked about the scriptures together. That's all of our, our, what our home groups do as well. We have three basic expectations for our life groups that meet in homes. One, meet on a recurring, a regular basis. It might be once a week or every other week or once a month, but have some regularity with it. So meet on a recurring basis, talk about God's word together, and pray together. Not too complicated. But we want people to be in the, the, in the community with each other. So people open up their living rooms, people come over. Sometimes it's singles, sometimes it's couples, sometimes those families, they, they hire a babysitter and put all the kids in another room over there so the adults can have their conversation. However it looks in your group, it doesn't really matter, but you're bringing people together to do life with them. And as you surround yourself with people who are like-minded, there's a greater likelihood that you will solidify your values and actually look for opportunities to live them out. So that's one avenue. That's the way we've done life groups in the past. We're continuing moving forward. We have all sorts of life groups that meet all, the, all over the San Juan region that are currently meeting. They're all, they're all meeting even now. You could join one of those groups. But we're introducing a second type of life group that we've never had here at this church before, which we're, we're referring to as interest life groups. Now, here's what an interest life group is. Say, for example, that you're interested in fly fishing. Is anybody interested in fly fishing, by the way? Any fly fishermen in the audience? Okay, a couple of you. So... So you know, if you're a fly fisherman, you know that the, the best place to go is the quality waters in the San Juan River just south of the Navajo Dam. So there's a stretch of maybe three miles or so to catch and release. That's the best place to go for fly fishing. People come literally from all over the world to go to that pocket of waters right there. So that's where you would go if you're an experienced fly fisherman. But it takes you about 45 minutes to get there. If you're already going on a Saturday... Why not invite somebody to sit in the seat next to you in your truck, in the back seat, maybe get a couple other people to go with you. Say, hey, on the way up, we're going to have some meaningful conversation. We're going to get to know each other. We're going to talk about what are you learning in God's word? What are, you, what are you facing? What's stressing you out? How can I pray for you? And on the 45-minute drive up, rather than just talking about the weather, you're actually having some meaningful, perhaps life-changing conversation. And then you get up there and you throw your San Juan worm in and you catch some trout and you come bring them to me so I can eat them and I would be very appreciative. <laughs> That's catch and release, just kidding. You can't, get, can't take the fish from there. But you get, you get the point. You can do life with an interest that multiple people have. Perhaps your interest is snowshoeing. Perhaps it's dirt biking. Perhaps it's uh, getting around in your Jeep and, and taking off throughout the trails over here. Maybe it's cooking. Maybe it's scrapbooking. Maybe it's yoga, maybe it's going to the gym, maybe it's going trail running, maybe it's mountain biking. I don't know what your interest is, but I do know that every person in here has some sort of interest. Why not invite a plus one to come along with you? What if you were to say, hey, you know what, I'm totally down with that. I'm okay. I, I go to the gym every Monday, Wednesday, Friday. I'm cool with somebody else coming and joining me. If that's you, whatever your interest is, here's what I'm going to challenge you to do. When you leave here, you're going to see several tables on the right-hand side over here by, the, by the, the, the fountain, the plaza. Write your name down and write whatever it is that you're interested in, in doing, what, what you're perhaps already doing and okay with people joining you. Because the, the bottom line is not getting more people to go fly fishing. It's not getting more people to go jeeping or scrapbooking. The bottom line is getting more people to do community with each other. So we have three groups, home groups, home life groups, interest life groups, and then the third one is what we, we refer to as campus life groups. 
Uh, we've had a group that has met here on Wednesday nights before. It's a family life community group. Uh, this kind of takes a place of that. We have campus life groups, and it's not just for young families. If you are a family with young kids, you can come here. You don't have to worry about getting a babysitter because we have babysitters. We have child care that's here for $5 per family. You can check your kids in. They get to play with each other while you get to have adult conversations with other adults, and that is a blessing in itself. So you can, you can bring your family, but even if you're not a young family, it's okay. You can still participate. You can come, and it's a great place that's kind of a catch-all group. Because if, you, if you're new to town, you're like, I don't know whose living room I would go to. I don't know who I would even start to go to a life group uh, with. Then you could come be a part of our campus life groups. We're starting those on February 6th at 6.30 in the plaza right here. There's going to be tables set up all over. You could come, sit down at a table, meet new people. You don't like those people? Go to another table. <laughs> you don't like them? Go to another table. Friends, the idea is that we do life with other people. And we've got multiple tools to encourage you. My hope, my dream is that every single person in this room would choose to do life with other people, whether in a home life group, an interest life group, a campus life group. We're giving you all the tools that we possibly can so you can do life with other people because I don't want to be somebody who says, these are the things that are important to me. But then because I don't have people around me helping me with those things and, and spurring me along and encouraging me in those things to help me actually be the man that I want to be. So I want to encourage you, do life with other people. As we wrap up this whole series of core. The whole reason we have these seven core values is not just to talk about them, but to live them, to demonstrate what's most important based on what we say and based on what we do. So will you perhaps consider when you leave here today, whether you're interested in a home life group, an interest life group, or a campus life group, consider signing up on one of those black tables as you leave here today so you can be in community with other people who are like-minded on the same page. I have one final quote for you by John Stewart. He said this, if you don't stick to your values when they're being tested, they're not values, they're hobbies. I want to stick to my values. I want to do what I say is most important. And I would encourage you to do the same. Will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for each person here this morning. And I know that you have not designed us to do life Alone, you've designed us to do life with other people. And you've also given us a roadmap, God. And I thank you for your roadmap through your scripture, through your word. That you lead us, you guide us, you shepherd us. You, you have us understand what is expected of us as we follow after you. So God, I pray that we wouldn't be people who just say that. It wouldn't just be theory that we follow after you, but that we do that. And we surround ourselves with other people who are like-minded, going in a similar direction, so that we could do life together. That we'd have deeper relationships and friendships, that, that we would enjoy the life that you have blessed us with, and that, that we would be open to being challenged and sharpened as iron sharpens iron, that people here would be challenged by other people, we'd be sharpened by one another, that together we would be better. So God, we thank you for this community. I thank you for each person that's here. May they grow in deeper relationships with other people around them as they choose to honor you with all that they do, all that they say. May our values dictate our actions. We say these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Next week is Super Bowl Sunday, February 3rd. And, and I don't know if you got a team in the final two or not, but it doesn't even matter. But uh, next week on February 3rd, next Sunday, we're inviting everybody to show up in any game gear that you happen to have, any football, any baseball, whatever it is, any game apparel that you have. I'm going to be rocking a Cowboys jersey, if you're curious. <laughs> 
So I invite you to wear whatever you want and just have fun next week as, as we come here and join and worship God. Even if you're in the wrong team's apparel, you're welcome to still come. If you would like prayer for something, we have some people up here that are wanting to pray for you. If you're visiting for the first time, come on over to the welcome table. I'd love to give you a free gift for our, as our way of saying thank you for being here. And as you leave here today, let's not just talk about what's most important. Let's live it out based on our actions. Have a great week. We'll see you next week in your jerseys. God bless.